0: Hello, and uh, welcome to Chalking True Crime with um, NewsQuest Investigates. I'm Charles Thompson, the London uh, investigations reporter for NewsQuest. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about a very interesting uh, case, a murder case, which is uh, the subject of constant um, speculation and media coverage over whether or not it was a miscarriage of justice. So, in summer 2003, A 14-year-old schoolgirl called Jodie Jones was savagely murdered in broad daylight in the Scottish town of Dalkeith. She'd been beaten, strangled, had clumps of her hair pulled out, and her throat had been slashed up to 20 times. Jodie's mutilated body was found by a search party that night, which comprised of some members of her family and her 14-year-old boyfriend, Luke Mitchell. Jodie had left home that evening to meet Luke in roughly the area where her body was found, which was along a woodland path that ran between their homes. And when Luke reported that she'd never arrived, he and her family had gone looking for her. But the police began treating Luke as a suspect that night. They couldn't find any forensic evidence that linked him to Jodie's murder, either at the crime scene, on his body, or at his own home. But eyewitness testimony placed Jodie and Luke together that evening near the woodland, contradicting his account that she had never arrived for their meeting. The authorities and the media contended that he was a likely killer because he listened to Marilyn Manson music and he was apparently fascinated with an unsolved murder case in America known as the Black Dahlia killing. They suggested that he had tried to recreate the Black Dahlia killing by murdering Jody. They took Luke to trial based on a circumstantial case and he was convicted by a majority verdict. Now aged 16, he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 20 years, and his 20 years in prison are now almost up. However, he's unlikely to ever be released unless his conviction is overturned by the courts because he refuses to admit that he committed the crime. He insists that he is innocent. He said in 2021, I will not admit to something I've not done. I want to clear my name they will not bully a false admission of guilt out of me. Our guest today is Dr. Sandra Lean, who has devoted years of her life to trying to overturn Luke Mitchell's conviction. Dr. Lean has an honours degree in psychology and sociology. She's qualified as a specialist paralegal with Strathclyde University, and she has a PhD in criminology. She wrote her thesis on miscarriages of justice. Hi, Sandra, how are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm very well, thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today. It's a fascinating case and one that you've devoted years to. How many years have you been working on this case now? 20. 20 years? Just over 20, yeah. So how did you actually get involved in this case to begin with?
1: It was, I I live, at, at the time I lived about half a mile from where Jodie was found. My eldest daughter went to the high school, Jodie was found the wall runs behind the high school where my daughter attended. Um, We're just a, a, a series of little villages and the, everybody says it but nothing like that happens here. So initially it was just fear and then the, the local hysteria, the the local, the, the focus on Luke so quickly and, and local hysteria, I started to think, hang on, what if everybody's so hysterical about this lad and it's not him. You know, the kids are still going about. It. What if it's not him? Um, and a few weeks in, maybe about six weeks in, um, Luke's mum heard about my take, which was was not a popular opinion in the area at the time. Not at all. Everybody, it was him. Everybody thought he was the killer. Um, she put a note through the the door of my workplace, saying, "Can you help us?" And to be honest, I knew nothing about wrongful convictions or, you know, the law or anything. I thought, how on earth can I help them? And initially, it was just being supportive and trying to find things out. When, when things were happening with the case and we thought that's strange, I'd go and try and find out if that was normal or if it was unusual. And And it just started from there.
0: So let's talk a bit about how Luke became a suspect. So Jodie's body is found by a search party, which comprises Luke and several members of her family. They've all gone looking because he says that she has not showed up for their arranged meeting. Um, Now the police decided that he had known where the body was and had led the search party to the body. Um, So can you talk us through how the police arrived at that conclusion?
1: Yeah, the the police were called to Jodie's mum's house and when you said earlier that Jodie was found roughly the area where they were due to meet. Actually Jodie was due to go down to Luke's house. So, you know, a, a good bit further down um, and was was killed on the way rather than in the area they were meant to meet. But the police um when they arrived at the scene, they appear to be of the opinion that Luke and Luke alone had found the body and the three family, the three other members of the search party, the Jodie's family members, had arrived after Luke found the body. But they'd, they'd left Jodie's mum's house, they'd gone for the missing person details, and they'd left her mum's house under three sort of mistaken pieces of information. So one was that Luke was coming up the path on his bike one was that Luke was the only one out searching, which, of course, is is why um, they then assumed that the, the other three members had turned up later because Luke was the only one out searching. And the other one, which we've never got to the bottom of, is that the police believed that Jodie had left her own home with Luke at tea time that evening. And now he was saying he hadn't seen her. So if you take those three pieces together, you can see why they were suspicious. Why would he get off his bike? on a, a little track in the middle of nowhere, in the dark and hop over a wall. But he wasn't on his bike, he, he was walking with his dog and he wasn't on his own because the other, he'd, by then he'd met up with the other three members of the search party who'd suggested a double check. And it was the four of them that were there when Jody's body was found. Also his dog alerted, the, the dog was trained to be a tracker and she alerted, past this v break in the wall. She jumped up and she was scrabbling at the wall and ear sniffing. So Luke doubled back and went over the wall at the v break, which is the only bit really you could have gotten over the wall at that bit, it's about seven feet high, um, turned towards where the dog reacted and found Jody called it. I think there's something here. That was the story of the other members of the search party for a full month. The whole of the month of July, that was their story as well. And then, at the end of July, the story started to change and they started to say that the dog had done nothing. Luke hadn't passed the V-point. He'd just gone straight there and over the wall. So so did the police believe that night that Luke had gone straight to the body or was it after the search really changed the story? It's really difficult to figure out, but that was yeah. the end result.
0: So, it's an interesting discrepancy that you highlight there that initially all of the search party were telling the same story, which was yes. that the dog alerted to the body and then Luke went to investigate what the dog had discovered. But by the time they all arrived at court, um, they were testifying to new statements which had been written later, which erased the dog yes. from the story. So, they had all identically changed their stories. Yes. Have you looked into that or how that happened?
1: I've seen all the statements as they developed over time. Um, There was a pair of liaison officers that worked with Jodie's family the whole time and if you piece the statements together in the same day they go from one witness to the next to the next to the next. And you can actually watch the stories developing and i think the only conclusion i can draw is that, that the police were introducing doubt about their original statements maybe saying oh well you know this one said this is what happened and then when they go to the next one the next one goes oh they might be right maybe i've got it wrong and it's that sense of you, you can watch the stories developing through the different statements. So my personal belief is is that they were influenced.
0: So was- you've only got the statements, not the tape recorded. There were yeah. no tape recordings made when the statements were being taken.
1: There may well have been, but if there were, the defence didn't have. They've
0: not been disclosed? No. Okay. So once the police start looking into Luke, um, they decide that he's a pretty curious character. He has said in the past, I was the local weirdo. It was easy to put it on me and make people believe these nasty, evil things about me. So the things that they uncovered were that he was um, a dope smoker. Is that right? Um, He was, for some reason, storing jars of his own urine. It's been claimed. Was that correct? That came
1: after the murder. Oh, that was after the murder. Yeah, yeah. That has been explained by a psychologist as um, a trauma reaction, an OCD reaction. And then that. they
0: f- they found evidence of what they said was devil worship or Satanism. For example, he'd written things down on journals. He'd written on one, I offer my flesh, blood and soul to the dark lord of hell. Um, so have you spoken to Luke about these uh, things that he'd written down and uh, what his beliefs were and why he was doing that?
1: Yes, so... S- a number of the, the scribbles on the jotters were actually um, from a computer game. They were quotes from a, a computer game. And the rest were pretty much like dozens of other teenagers scribble ridiculous things on the jotters. Um, you know, he didn't mean he believed any of them. He, he was just trying to be an edgy teenager, basically.
0: Well, this was something that happened a lot in the 90s and the 80s, actually, which was that people would be identified as suspects in crimes because they listened to heavy metal music. It would be alleged yeah. that there were subliminal messages in the music. Marilyn Manson himself was blamed for the Columbine massacre. And, of course, Marilyn Manson came into play in this case. And there was some link drawn between Marilyn Manson and the Black Dahlia killing in America in the 1940s. So uh, something that's confused me when I've been reading about the case is whether there was any evidence that Luke himself had an interest in the Black Dahlia case, or whether they were saying that Manson was known to be obsessed with the Dahlia case, and he was a fan of Manson. So what's the the story there between Luke and the Black Dahlia case? The
1: the claim was that um, he was fanatical about Marilyn Manson and as a result he'd seen Marilyn Manson's watercolour paintings of the Black Dahlia killing and used, modelled the murder on those. The problem they have is that he wasn't a Marilyn Manson fan, (laughs) far less obsessed with him. Um, He had one CD that was bought after Jodie was murdered and one calendar that was ripped up in the bin. That was it. He wasn't. And and if you look at the police questioning, they introduce Manson over and over and over again. They keep asking him about his music and he likes Eminem and and they keep asking him about Manson. And he says, well, Jodie likes him. I'm not that keen on him. And that somehow becomes an obsession. But when it comes to the watercolour paintings, they took every computer he had access to. And there was no evidence that he had ever accessed the website that these paintings were on. And the the officer doing this particular bit of the the job said they were really difficult to find. You would only find them if you knew what you were looking for.
0: And so the allegation, just to be clear, was that Marilyn Manson had done some paintings which were inspired by the Black Dahlia killing and that Luke was trying to recreate those paintings of the killing and did so by by killing Jodie. That was the theory. But yeah. you're saying there is no evidence in existence that he had ever seen the paintings no. that he was accused of trying to copy
1: no and the pathologist later said that the the, the um, similarities between the two murders were superficial in, in as much as there were slashing injuries to both victims but that they're not it's in no way a copycat.
0: And there was no evidence of Luke having a book about the Black Dahlia killings no. or or um, visiting Black Dahlia websites for example? No. There was no independent evidence separate from Marilyn Manson of him having an interest in the Dahlia case? No, no. Okay, I, I
1: remember when that came up um, in the lead up to trial and Luke's mum was saying, you know, what's the Black Dahlia? What's that all about? And we were all sitting there going, not got a clue. You know, I'd just never heard of it until then. So, no, there was was nothing to suggest that he he had any knowledge about any of it, and certainly not that he'd seen the pictures.
0: Now, when the police went um, door to door in Luke's neighbourhood, they spoke to some neighbours who said that they smelled the family's log burner going that evening. And so the police developed a theory that um, Luke's mother had helped him to destroy the clothing that he was wearing when he committed the crime and they actually charged her with uh, they charged her as an accessory and accused her of doing that and they said that luke's parker coat was missing mm-hmm. so is there an explanation for the missing parker coat yes
1: there is no missing parker <laughs> It's, it's so difficult. There's so much in this case that just appears to be plucked out of nowhere. Um, that when the police came on the fourth of July, so Jodie was murdered on the thirtieth, the night of the thirtieth of June, and they found her just going into the morning of first July. On the fourth of July, they raided Luke's house, Luke's mum's house, and he was taken in for questioning. And they they took just about every article of clothing. He owned apart from the stuff that he was in in the police station. They just took everything. So he had he had nothing to wear. And his mum went shopping on the either the Tuesday or the Wednesday the following week. Um and this parka jacket was part of the clothing that she bought for him that day. The liaison officer was waiting when she got home and asked for the receipt for all the clothing. So they said that this this new parka, eventually they said that this new parka was a replacement for the one he'd worn on the night Jodie was murdered, and it had been burned in the log burner to destroy evidence. And again, they, they, they trip themselves up because there's also supposed evidence of a sighting of Luke on the main New Battle Road, out in the open, in broad daylight, standing against a gate, cars going up and down, people seeing him in a parka jacket with no blood, no anything, not agitated or anything like that. So, the, the claim at the time was the murderer would have been covered in blood. There's no blood on this jacket that these witnesses see. But then they claim that you had to burn it in the log burner to get rid of evidence. They then took the log burner and all its contents and forensically tested them as well. And there was no evidence of any clothing having been burned there. Nothing.
0: Now, although Luke has taken in for questioning on the 4th, he was also taken to the police station on the night of Jodie's body being discovered. Yes. Um. And there were some forensic tests done there. Is that correct? I'll come to those later. But they so the forensic tests of the fingernails and the hair and things like that that was all yes. done on the night. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'll come back to that. So, um, so you've got the the neighbours who say they smell the log burner. And then you have these eyewitnesses who come forward. Now, there's a couple of eyewitnesses who say that they saw Luke uh, standing around the entrance to the woodland path. Um, I'm not sure how important that is, to be honest, because his story is that he was supposed to meet Jodie and she didn't show up. So it would be quite feasible for him to be standing on his own at the end of that path anyway, wouldn't it? For... He, he
1: he hadn't planned to meet her there. He planned, that's what I was saying earlier, He planned to meet her. <laughs>
0: So she was coming to the house.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or down, down to the end of his street. Um, the, so, the important one is the witness at the other end because she became the central witness, the eyewitness at the other end. She became the central witness.
0: And that's the witness who says she saw Luke and Jodie together. Yes. So, and that contradicts his story because he says Jodie never arrived. Yeah. And they have this witness who says, I saw him and Jodie together. Um. Now. An important question is, did this witness come forward before or after Luke's picture had been all over the papers? Before. Before his picture had been all over the papers. She picked him out of an ID parade, was that a photo ID parade?
1: It was a photo ID which has been uh, criticised extensively because uh, all the other boys were younger, had short hair, and a picture, a Polaroid picture of Luke on a white background was inserted into the split. And when so she it was a
0: different out, different type of picture. Yes. He was a different age to everybody else in the lineup yes. and he had a different appearance than everybody else in the lineup. Yes. So if it was almost like they were pointing out the person that looks different to everyone else in the lineup. Yeah. But then when this witness comes to trial, they say, Do you see the boy that you saw that day in the courtroom? And she's unable to pick him out in the courtroom.
1: Yeah, she couldn't identify him.
0: Okay. So evidentially, that doesn't sound very strong. Um, and yet they did win a conviction, albeit with a, a majority mm-hmm. verdict. So how do you think that the jury arrived? Is there anything that we have missed out here? Is there some smoking gun we've missed out? We've got, they say that he's a bit strange. We've got, an eyewitness who says she saw them together but then can't identify him in court and we've got somebody that smelled a log burner. What, what am I missing? Um,
1: they didn't believe his alibi.
0: His mum Of course, the his alibi. So his mum and brother gave him an alibi initially mm-hmm. but when the case came to court the brother changed his story and rescinded the alibi, is that
1: correct? That's that's how the media would like to portray it. Um, he was saying initially at trial that Luke was there and the police afterwards refused to accept the brother's um, statements that Luke was there and kept saying that the brother was lying and threatening that he was going to go to jail. And So, so he's trying to say this on the stand. And what they did was a horrible, horrible, dirty trick they basically put the pictures of J- Jody's mutilated body in front of him with no warning and said this is what we're dealing with this is what the truth is this is why we need the truth and he almost passed out you know he, he was really really shaken because he hadn't seen those pictures um, and then they started putting things to him like you know is it possible you were looking at porn? Is it possible you were you know unaware that Luke was out and and he just kept agreeing it was possible. He never actually said yes, that's the case so so, so he didn't yeah. resent yeah. as such. He never
0: said I was lying. Luke no. wasn't there. No. He said it's possible I'm mistaken. Yeah okay. there's a big factor in this case which is important, I think to address. And that is that long before Luke came to trial, the media identified him as the suspect. Yes, in a way that, um, for example, since the Cliff Richard case would probably not happen now, and since the Christopher Jeffrey case, yeah, uh, he
1: was Christopher Jeffrey,
0: yes, so. Um, his mother described him once as an innocent little boy dragged from his home, having done nothing wrong and then been turned into a monster by the press. And you yourself, you've called the press coverage hysterical and relentless. So um, just starting with the basic fact that Luke was named as the suspect, um, do you think that that had the potential to taint the
1: jury pool before the case even came to trial absolutely um edinburgh is about seven miles from here and lots and lots of people from these villages around about here travel to edinburgh to work so it was when i say relentless it was daily this case was never out of the papers the, the whole time the whole 19 months with the exception of the little bit where they arrested him and said he couldn't be named because he hadn't turned 16 yet for a couple of months. Um, aside, aside from that, it was constantly, constantly, constantly in the newspapers, on TV. His picture constantly shown. Some of the stories that were going around this area, it, it just grew arms and legs. It was horrendous. Um, I, I don't think they couldn't have got a, a jury pool that that hadn't been subjected to that.
0: So the relevance of Edinburgh is that's where the trial was and that's where the oh, jury yes. pool was drawn from.
1: Yeah, of course, this was the, the, the subject the of
0: national news coverage, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, the, the jury pool was actually, um, it wasn't just drawn from Edinburgh. It was it was drawn from this area as well. They, they only excluded people with postcodes, um, I think, related to Jodie's village, Luke's village and... The high school. So so they were they were pulling people from the villages all around here.
0: So what would be because this, as I said, this was the subject of national coverage in uh Scotland. It wasn't just local newspaper coverage. So everywhere in the country, people were talking about this case. Um, what are some of the things that you remember being written about Luke while he was still a suspect before they imposed that ban on um discussing him once he was arrested?
1: Um, it, it was all implication, it was all innuendo. Um, I remember one one headline, Luke who's back, L U K E who's back, because Luke had gone back to school. And, and this massive picture of, it, well he's a 15 year old kid going back to school, why is that headline news? Um, every article about any development in the case ended with Jodie's boyfriend is the only person who's been questioned. Jodie's boyfriend, she was going to meet him that night, and he he says she never turned up. You know, um, it it was all it was all kind of pointing the finger in that direction without directly saying it was him. So his picture
0: weird. was used constantly, wasn't it? Oh, yes. Um, yes. And they had this one picture where he had like a headband on with yep. his hair hanging down his face and he he was sort of looking down and looking up like that and it sort of made him look a bit sinister and they used that picture ad nauseum. But yep. there, there was also the Sky News interview that I wanted to touch on. So Luke couldn't go to the funeral and the reason he couldn't go to the funeral uh, that's been given is that – the media was chasing him around and focusing on him so relentlessly that if he showed up at the funeral, it would cause some sort of feeding frenzy, which would distract from the the solemnity of the event. Um, and so a reporter shows up and knocks on the door to um, see if they can talk to Luke. And his mum has said in the past that the the press coverage so far had been so prejudicial that she was sort of talked into letting this guy into the house to do the interview because she thought that it would help re rewrite the ship as it were. Um, So, but the reaction to that sky news interview was actually extremely bad. Um, Mm. And one of the headlines was how dare you, which when you talk about innuendo and implication, I mean, if he's not guilty, then why would the headline be a how dare you? So it's yeah. certainly suggesting that he's done something wrong, that he mm-hmm. shouldn't be talking about Jodie, that he's some sort of bad character. But uh, what do you remember about the reaction to the Sky News interview?
1: It was, there were two things about the, the reaction. The first was um, the, the absolute condemnation that he'd had the audacity to to speak to a reporter how dare he um the 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 interview was done in such a way that the interviewer was asking questions that the police would have had to ask under caution so we asked luke directly did you kill Jodie?" and he's checking out if luke's got an alibi and if his friends are going to vouch for him and and then people watching this all turned into body language experts and and you know that sort of thing. Or you could see in his eyes that he was hiding something. So that was a local reaction. But from that came his mum had her arm round his shoulder. And from that came the the story that the, the, the relationship between mother and son was unnatural. And boom, there goes yet another really, really negative story thrown into the mix that the, the police then said that they found Luke and his mum sleeping in the same bedroom to, to bolster this story. No, they didn't actually. They found them both sleeping in the living room because Luke was heavily medicated and he was sleeping on the, st- the settee in case he fell downstairs, And his mum slept on the other settee in case it got up and started wandering about in the night. They turned that into, they found them sleeping in the same bedroom and that's because there was an unnatural relationship because she had an arm around him struck in his, his neck while he did the Sky interview.
0: That was a very extraordinary element of the media coverage, I have to say. It was, it was absolutely extraordinary, the the way they tried to insinuate that yeah. there was some kind of improper relationship going on between mother and son. It was, it was unbelievable. Why yeah. was he heavily medicated, though? What was going on at that point?
1: Well, it was only it was not long after the murder, and... He'd been heavily medicated from the day after he found the body. Because you've got to remember, he found the body in those circumstances. He's 14. He's then taken straight to the police station, stripped, swabbed, everything else, questioned overnight, no check on, on his mental or emotional state, questioned right throughout the night. And then it was the following morning, the GP prescribed basically tranquilizers um to to i suppose to avoid him seeing what he'd seen reliving it
0: okay so we have the prosecution case the prosecution case is he found the body and we say that he knew where it was and he led everybody to it somebody smelled a log burner going on at his house we have an eyewitness who says that he and jody met up um and the alibi is not as strong as it yeah. would appear. They accused his mother of burning evidence, destroying evidence. However, they later dropped the charges against her.
1: The so, charges the charges were actually about um the alibi, not about the, burning about, of the so they never
0: even charged her with burning the no. clothes. No. No. It was about and, lying to give an alibi. And you say that the log burner was forensically examined. There was no evidence at all, no evidence of Jody's blood, no evidence Mm -hmm. of Jody's DNA hair, no evidence Mm -hmm. of the burned clothes. Nope. Nothing in there. Nope. Okay, so let's move on to now looking at the um, information which you say badly undermines the prosecution case. And I want to start with the lack of evidence which actually ties Luke to the scene so this case has been reinvestigated by former police officers who are now private investigators they featured in the um channel 5 documentary which was called murder in a small town in 2021 and they identified by going through the original police case files a number of issues with um, the forensic evidence So the first thing is that there was material in the police documents suggesting that Jodie had struggled or fought with her attacker, that she had put up a fight. So the killer, whoever was the killer, you would expect them to have defensive wounds. Yes. Luke did not have any defensive wounds on his body when he was taken by the police on the day that he found the body.
1: No, nothing.
0: Whoever killed Jodie, because she had been mutilated so catastrophically and her throat had been slashed blood would have been spraying everywhere whoever killed her would have been soaked in blood covered in blood there is luke would have had to walk back to his house this was the middle of summer she was killed it's alleged in the early evening she would have to have been for um luke to have then done everything that they say he did destroyed all the evidence so he would have had to have walked home in rush hour through a residential yeah. neighborhood in broad daylight, soaked head to toe in blood without anybody noticing. Yeah. On the night that he was taken to the police station after finding her body, the police swabbed underneath his fingernails and there mm. was dirt underneath his fingernails, mm. suggesting that he had not recently washed and there was no blood and no DNA under his fingernails mm. connecting no. him to the crime. Nothing. It was also observed in the police documents that when he was taken to the police station that night, he had unwashed greasy hair mm-hmm. and yet there was no evidence of blood, nothing in his hair, which could connect him to the crime. Nope. They raided his home on the 4th. A few days later, they found no forensic evidence at all there, which linked him to the crime. Nope. So um, now some might say, um, well, there had been a few days by then for him to have cleaned up. But if we just look at the the thoroughness of what the police do when they forensically examine a scene. So when Luke gets home covered in blood, he would have been treading blood all over the floor. Yep. He would have left blood on the door handle when he got home. He would have left blood on every door handle, the bathroom door handle, the bedroom door handle, every handle he touched. The taps, when he switched the taps on to wash himself, Whatever brushes or flannels he used or sponges to try and clean himself would have been covered in blood or certainly would have had traces of blood on them. And usually in a case like this, the police will even remove the U-bend in the sinks yeah. or the bath and will actually go through the pipes and check whether there's any DNA in the pipes. In To your knowledge, was all of that done in this case?
1: With the exception of the U-bends... Okay, so
0: the taps were examined, shower, floor, door handles. Not a single, not one microscopic trace of Jodie's blood found anywhere in the house. No. Was Luke forensically trained? <laughs> no. At age 40, was his mother forensically trained? No. Was anybody in his family forensically trained? No. Okay. Um, the other thing is there's no evidence at the scene which links him to the scene. Um, so there's no, uh, there's none of his blood at the scene oh. presumably they scraped underneath Jodie's fingernails uh, because she had put up a fight and whoever had attacked her would have had defensive wounds so there's nothing under her fingernails that links Luke to the to
1: No, they, they, made, they made a bit of a mess of the, the fingernail scrapings um, they only got results for one hand but the results that they did get for one hand for that one hand didn't Nothing much to Luke there. Now, it's said in the TV show, and I
0: should say at this point, that the family of Jodie are very fervently of the opinion that Luke is the killer, and they were extremely unhappy about their TV show, and they described it as being full of half-truths. But in the TV show, it's said that hair, saliva, semen, and blood were all recovered from the scene and none of it could be traced back to Luke. No. Is that correct?
1: That's absolutely true, none of it. So what was the saliva?
0: Who what, Was it a, a different person's saliva that was found on Jodie's body?
1: To this day, we don't know whose saliva okay. that was. And and that's the other thing about Luke being forensically aware. Um, you would have to believe that he was able to, to remove all traces of his own DNA from the scene But leave DNA from other males there. Because there is a full male DNA profile on Jodie's t-shirt. It belongs to her boyfriend.
0: Yeah, that was explained in court by, they said that she had borrowed her sister's t-shirt, which had the DNA on it already. And um, we're not suggesting that he is uh, the killer in any way. Um, Her sister's boyfriend. Um, So... I'm just trying to imagine a way in which you could could, and looking at the timings of it. So Luke would have had to have killed Jodie and then walked home in broad daylight through the um, residential neighborhood at rush hour without anybody seeing him, and then somehow completely erased all forensic trace of the crime on himself without washing. We know he didn't wash because it's in the police report. There's also the case of the missing weapon. So they never found the murder weapon. So also in this timeline, you would have to account for Luke getting somewhere and disposing of the murder weapon before he then goes home and cleans himself up and burns all the evidence and then gets uh, well, back out.
1: They, they did try to suggest at one point that actually he'd taken the murder weapon home with them and he'd gone out to walk his dog at 10 o'clock at night to get rid of the, the murder weapon then. Uh, but when, did,
0: did they search the area for the murder weapon? I mean, are they they, they, how far they, are they suggesting he walked the dog to dispose of the weapon?
1: Well, yeah, they, they took the local area apart. They had, they had people in the divers in the rivers and... Um, they didn't stop the bins being emptied, oddly enough. Um, but they you know, they, they had the whole area cordoned off, the, the path area, they they searched all the woodlands and everything, looking for the merger weapon, never found it.
0: So it's built into the timeline somewhere, is the disposal of the weapon somewhere in the local area that then gets searched and they don't find it?
1: Yeah. I should point out as well, you've got the murder. The police said Jodie died at 5.15. This was just a a random time. They they were looking for a window of opportunity when Luke could have been been the killer. But immediately after that, they claimed that the killer then stripped Jodie's clothes off, tied her arms behind her back with her trousers and mutilated her body. So you'd have to build that into the timeline as well. Sorry, are they
0: saying that that was done before or after she was initially killed? After. So So she was killed and then that was done?
1: Yes. Yes. So there was this fight. She was beaten, her hair was pulled out, um, various injuries inflicted prior to the cutthroat injuries, which the police set at 5.15. After the cutthroat injuries, the body was stripped, her arms tied behind her back, and and the, the mutilation injuries inflicted at that point and and still they claimed in court that the, the killer would not necessarily be covered in blood so so you've got from 5 15 to 10 to 6 approximately 10 to 6 when luke was seen sitting on a wall at the end of his street so five fifteen, the, the cutthroat then you've got all the aftermath then you've got he's got to get home get cleaned up and by between 10 to 6 and 5 to 6, he's sitting on a wall at the end of his street. So does Luke accept that that is him sat on the wall? Yes.
0: Yes. And it, how it, does that marry in with his... At what time was his alibi that his mother and his brother gave him?
1: Uh, 5.15. He came in... It's quite difficult because they, they keep moving the goalposts, but um, from... Five o'clock ish to five thirty ish, about ten to ten to five to five thirty. So his brother came in at ten to five. His mum came in at five fifteen. Luke left the house just after half past five to go and wait for Jodie. So that is the period of the alibi, which matches the the five fifteen time of death.
0: So he was going to go and meet her, but somewhere close to his house. Yes. Okay. Now. Um, there's this call because one thing that they raised in the prosecution case as part of undermining the alibi was that there was a phone call that was made from his phone to the talking clock from his mobile phone to the talking clock. And they said that this contradicted his alibi and demonstrated that he was not at home because if he was at home, he would have just looked at a clock. So he must have been out and about and made the phone call to find out what time it was perhaps yeah. suggesting that he made the call on his way to meet Jody um what time was that phone call to talk for 450 454
1: 454
0: and so um his case effectively is i was at home and i just lazily called the talking clock, is that is that essentially his case?
1: Yeah, the The defence got the phone records and Luke had a habit of randomly calling the speaking clock around about 8, between 8 and 8.30 in the morning before he left for school and somewhere between sort of half four, five o'clock when he came in from school. So there was something like 18 calls to the speaking clock in the lead up to that night. The other issue they've got with it is the eyewitness, that said she saw Jodie and Luke. And by the way, her her original description was nothing like Jodie and Luke. The guy was uh, early 20s with thick hair, standing up in a clump. You've seen Luke's hair, poker straight, and he he definitely didn't look early 20s. Anyway, I digress. Um, Her sighting was 4.49 to 4.54, ostensibly. And the guy's hands are out in front of him at his sides, out in front of him. No mention of a mobile phone at exactly the time Luke's calling the speaking clock.
0: Okay. I just want to run something by you as well while I think mm-hmm. of it. There's a, an article that was published by the Daily Record which was called something like "the these, This is the evidence which proves that Luke Mitchell is the killer. Ten hard and five. they... Yes, so they disputed the suggestion that there was no forensic evidence tying yes. him to the crime scene. They said his DNA was found on Jodie's bra mm-hmm. and her DNA was found on his trousers. Mm-hmm. So what is the full context around that evidence?
1: The There was a mixed DNA sample on Jodie's bra. The bra she was wearing that day? Yes. Okay. The expert said that luke mitchell could not be excluded as a contributor to that mixture that doesn't mean luke mitchell was a contributor it just means parts of his profile matched up with parts of the mixture on the bra and what i did was i got the dna results and i had a look at how many other people that statement would be true for could not be excluded and there are several males known to the investigation, including the senior investigating officer that the same would be true of, because you can't use a partial as as, as an identification.
0: So it's not it is not factually correct to no. say that his DNA was found on the PRAT. No. And,
1: and when and they the said... Record,
0: sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, go ahead.
1: The, the daily record give that side of it. What they don't say is that the defence forced that witness to admit on the stand that in no way could that mixed profile identify Luke or anybody else. And they never report that bit.
0: What about Jodie's DNA on um, on Luke's trousers?
1: These was that were, the trousers it, he
0: was wearing that day?
1: No, these were a pair of trousers that were in a all from when he'd been visiting his dad because his mum and dad were separated and he, he sometimes stayed with his dad at the weekend. So these were in a, pair of trousers, in a, a holdall that come back from his dad's and it was agreed between the prosecution and the defence, that th- there was no suggestion that these these trousers were in any way connected to the murder and, yeah, you know, So it's
0: just his girlfriend's DNA was on a pair of trousers that he owned, which yeah. is something you would fully expect.
1: Yeah.
0: So another element that has come to light about this investigation subsequently is the unfair way in which Luke was treated. Um, from the outset of the investigation. And that's not an opinion. That is something that a court has ruled. A court has ruled that he was treated unfairly. Yeah. So he was taken to a police station where he asked for a lawyer and he was told he was not entitled to one, yeah. which would be bad enough if he was an adult, but he was a child. Yeah. He was then questioned for hours in a very aggressive way by police officers with no appropriate adult or no lawyer present. There was
1: an appropriate
0: adult, but he never opened his mouth
1: throughout the entire... Who was the
0: appropriate... because he asked for his mother, didn't he? So who was the appropriate adult?
1: It was a social worker. Okay. And the only time he spoke in the whole interrogation was to say his name.
0: But no lawyer. He asked for a lawyer and he wasn't given one.
1: No, that was legal in Scotland in 2003. Oh, really? That was legal at the time? Yeah, they were called Section 14 interviews and they were legal. They're not anymore.
0: Okay, and a, nonetheless, a judge has subsequently ruled, and I'm quoting directly here, that Luke's behavior, the, the officer's behaviour towards Luke was outrageous, hostile, and that they were endeavouring to break him down into giving some hoped-for confession, and their conduct could only be described as deplorable. Yes. And I believe it even extended to when he was taken to the bathroom because he needed to use the bathroom, the police officers followed him into the bathroom and stood over him as he was using the toilet and continued to shout at him and instruct him that he ne- he needed to confess yeah now it's worth mentioning that in subsequent years luke's mother underwent a polygraph test where she was asked explicitly did you fabricate the alibi did you destroy any evidence she answered no and she passed that polygraph. Yes. Luke in prison has undergone a polygraph where he was asked explicitly a series of questions about whether he was in any way involved in Jody's killing. And he passed that polygraph
1: yeah.
0: as well. Now, a polygraph is not admissible in court no. um, because they do not have a hundred percent success rate, but they do have a relatively high success yeah. rate. Um, you are a criminologist what is the significance to you of the two of them passing those polygraph tests?
1: There are a couple. Of, I was going to say there's two. There's a couple of elements to um, the the significance. The first is obviously if you take the odds of one passing without knowing what the questions were going to be in in advance, and then the odds of both of them passing without knowing what the questions were going to be and with no way of discussing with each other what they might be. That that for me takes the the likelihood that they're telling the truth really quite high in that yeah, you know, for both of them to pass and not slip up on anything if they were lying. Um one of the other things is lots of people have said, you know, um the the polygraph side of things could have been biased because we paid for the polygraphs. Well, we didn't. It was media outlets that paid for the polygraphs. And Luke and Corinne agreed to take these tests knowing that the results would go out in the media no matter what they were. Now that's a massive risk if they were lying. Knowing that the media media paid for them, the media were gonna print the results. And they were both willing to take that risk, which to me suggests it wasn't a risk to them at all. They knew they were gonna pass. And there are, some other suspects
0: who have come to light over the years, other people who were known to the police as potential suspects, but for whatever reason, the police had decided early on that it was Luke, and they didn't really appear to have invested much investigative resource into looking into these other suspects. Now, one thing that leaps out at the scene, the police discovered a condom which contained what was described in the police reports as fresh semen. Yes. What is your understanding as to how recent it would have to have been to be described as fresh semen?
1: Um, well, it breaks down fairly, fairly quickly. Um, so, so for it to be described as fresh, I would have said between within twenty four hours. Before it it
0: started to deplete. Now, three years after that, something pings on a police computer because the DNA profile, which is extracted from this fresh semen found at the crime scene. um, The person whose DNA it was has now gone back into the police system and they have an identification of that person. Do you know what it was that had happened for that person's DNA to go back into the system three years later?
1: I believe it was an assault charge. Okay. What Do you
0: know if that person was questioned in relation to Jodie's? I know that uh, Luke, by that point, was already in prison, but did the police follow that up? Did they go and question the person?
1: They did. And his story was that... He'd gone down the path, down behind the wall, into the Woodland Strip that night to masturbate because he had no privacy at home. Um, He then told the police that the following morning when he saw the police tape and all the police officers and the helicopter and everything, he went back out into the wasteland at the other end of the path and did the same. And the police said, yeah, okay, thanks for that. Off you go.
0: Did he give any explanation as to why he was masturbating into a condom? No. Nope. Hmm. Okay, so um, the Daily Record says that there is no evidence that Jodie was sexually assaulted, yes. is that correct?
1: I think it depends on what you want to define as sexual assault.
0: Or she was stripped naked.
1: Yeah, and her breast was mutilated. Is that so?
0: You're a criminologist. Does that sound like a potentially sexually motivated killing?
1: Yes, and I think I think people have to understand the difference between a sexual a sexual crime and a sexually motivated crime. And this is what the the daily, the daily record never differentiates between the two. Even the police themselves initially. Believed it was a sexually motivated crime, and we we did have evidence um, from a a forensic not a forensic a, a psychologist um, pointing towards pederasty, which is basically when the the attacker the murderer gets their sexual gratification from stabbing and cutting. Is so, that sorry, Is
0: that something you obtained or something the police obtained?
1: No, that was something we obtained afterwards. But there's. As evidence in
0: the contemporaneous police investigation files that they at the time considered it to be a sexually motivated. yes, crime. yes.
1: and then they changed they changed it later and said it wasn't there was no sexual assault and dropped their claim that it was sexually motivated, which is the most bizarre, the most bizarre thing ever, but that's what we're left with now, unfortunately. There's a second alternative suspect which
0: is a man who is deceased so we can name him his name is mark kane yeah and it was said that he on the day after jody's killing was seen by people with uh, scratches to his face yes was questioned as to how he had obtained those scratches and his answer was that he had taken some drugs or or alcohol or both and had gone into the exact woodland where Jody's body was found, but he denied involvement in the crime.
1: Yeah, he couldn't um, remember anything about that night.
0: Now, one of the witnesses was a guy called Scott Forbes.
1: Yeah,
0: and at the court of appeal, his testimony was dismissed. Um. And I believe it emerged that uh, one of the things that was used to discredit him was that he had tried to sell a story to a newspaper. Is that right?
1: Yeah, this story comes up over and over again. It's entirely untrue. But
0: am I not right in thinking that he was not the only person that saw the scratches? He was not the only person that Mark Cain told he was in the woods. There were other people who came forward and said, I saw the scratches on his face. He told me he was in the woods. Yes. How many witnesses came forward and said that?
1: Let me see. We had one, two, three. At least another four. Including. So you've got
0: five witnesses, including Scott Forbes, or four including Scott Forbes. Five, including Scott. So Scott. Was five, forward. including Scott Forbes. So even if Mr. Forbes had been discredited, it would still leave four witnesses saying the same thing. Yeah. Now. Um, Sorry, so what is the truth about Mr Forbes and the selling of the story?
1: The claim that, that came up at Appeal was that um, he'd said to Mark Kane that Mark Kane should go to the police and tell them that he was in the woods that night and he had scratches on his face and he couldn't remember what he'd, what he'd been doing. And when the police cleared him, they would sell, take the story to the newspapers and get 50 grand and split it between them. Now, I don't know what sort of lunatic you would have to be to to agree to that that particular plan, but there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that a plan like that ever existed. And and Mr. Kane would be taken an enormous risk to, to have gone along with that.
0: So did that story come from Mr. Kane? He said that.
1: He's denied that it came from him.
0: So who made that claim to the court
1: about was the splitting made, of the money? It was made by the, the Crown at the appeal, but we, they, didn't, they didn't really say where they got it from.
0: Okay. There's a, some third, a third alternative s- suspects. Um, we're going to refer to them as moped boys mm-hmm. because there were witnesses who saw some boys in the area on mopeds at the time. And there was one witness, I believe, who said that they saw a moped leaned up against a fence close to the crime scene, but could not see the rider or riders. And when those witnesses were questioned about where they had been when their moped was leaned up against a fence near the crime scene at the time the crime would have been occurring, they said they couldn't remember. Is that all correct?
1: Yeah. The the bike, the, the moped was actually at, at the V point in the wall, the V break in the wall. At exactly five fifteen. And the,
0: the V point in the wall, just to say that is the same place where Luke climbed over, isn't it? Yes. Or where he was when the dog started indicating and saying that yeah. and, and they discovered the body. Okay. Um, however, they testified in at trial. Um, the police have never concluded that they are the killer um, they deny being the killer
1: Yeah,
0: and there's no evidence physical like DNA or anything that implicates them in the crime in any way um, it's just this unexplained sighting of them in the area at the time and yeah. the police they, didn't really
1: take five days to come forward and one of them is Jodie's cousin who told the police They hadn't come forward because his gran, which is Jodie's gran, had told them not to. Because the time they were on the path was too early for them to have seen anything. But they also lied about the time they were on the path. So when
0: you say lied, um, is it possible they were mistaken? What do you mean when you say
1: they lied? They put themselves on the path about 45 minutes earlier than they were actually there. And they claimed that was because there was a, a a clock in the house that they'd left from that was at the wrong time, which that would be reasonable, except that there are a number of other events that afternoon that they were bang on time for, that they would have had to be using that clock. So so one of them had a, a an interview at the job centre and he was there on time. And this is, you know, an hour before the clock's at the wrong time and puts them 45 minutes earlier on the path. The other one said what time he came to this house earlier in the day and that's bang on time as well. So, so either this clock went nuts in the space of an hour to put them there 45 minutes earlier or they lied.
0: So and the importantly Only even if we assume for the sake of argument that Luke is innocent and that that all these other alternative suspects, they can't all have done it. So we're not saying any of these people are the killer. But at the very least, you would have thought that the police would have devoted a bit more investigative resource to checking out some anomalies in their stories or why somebody had deposited fresh semen at the scene of a murder, for example. Now there's one other alternative suspect who has been cited by um, Luke's defense and the campaign to overturn his conviction, who we won't name, um, but it's an individual who was known to Jody and had connections to the area. Um, Can you just talk about the, uh, the reasons that that individual is a potential suspect in your opinion?
1: we found out um, after Luke was convicted that this person had in the run-up to the murder had serious serious mental health problems and was on the highest um dosage of antipsychotic medication but was still massively abusing cannabis so the antipsychotic medication wasn't working it had a, n- a number of episodes, in, in the six months prior to Jodie's murder um, was known to, when, when he had episodes, was known to be extremely violent, had used bladed instruments in the past and was was not considered a suspect, but was not even formally questioned because he was so mentally ill, he was not well enough to be formally questioned. And, and so and that I'm,
0: would suggest that the police had had some internal discussions about questioning this person, but decided they couldn't do it. Yeah. OK. Um, and so they never pursued So they just never pursued it because they couldn't question no. the person. No, never pursued it. So in recent years, you have tried to um, gain access to forensic evidence with a view to retesting it. Yeah. Presumably, in part, because you want to see if any forensic evidence subjected to fresh testing would implicate any of these other suspects.
1: You, one, dis- one of the things that I think people find almost unbelievable when I tell them this is the vast majority of the male DNA from semen or sperm heads came back, no reportable results test after test after test, item after item after item after item and that's why we wanted to get some of these retested because that, that, seems, that seems unusual that there are so many tests that turned up nothing. And presumably
0: the testing today will be far more sophisticated than yes. the testing 20 years ago. Yes. Um Now unfortunately when you tried to gain access to this evidence you discovered that the establishment was in the process of destroying it all, yes. um, despite it being very well documented that Luke challenges his conviction, um, does not accept his guilt and it being highly probable that he would mount further appeals in the future. So can you just talk us through how you discovered that this evidence was being destroyed by the state?
1: We were actually alerted by a whistleblower that they were starting to destroy the evidence so luke's lawyer wrote to them and they admitted that yes they had started destroying it and then as as we as we sort of followed that down the line um the the crown office and the police were kind of throwing each other under the bus and the crown office were saying no we didn't give them permission the police were saying yeah it was them but what we did discover was that around, the, the Crown had given permission for destruction of um, the productions that were on the indictment, so, so the stuff that, that was used at trial. The police went ahead and destroyed 1,600 productions that were not covered by that instruction.
0: What's so, a production, sorry, for those of us not
1: in so the, the know? Pieces of evidence that are used at trial, or that are used to build the case. Um, so. Jody's clothing, uh, recordings of interviews, you know any, anything that they used as as evidence. and anything that, that they didn't actually specifically used in a trial, they were not to destroy. Why
0: would they have authorised the destruction of the material that was used at trial though, I don't understand why would you say you can destroy all the evidence that we used to convict him but you can't destroy anything else because you would think that would be the most important evidence wouldn't you?
1: It It may have been the other way around, they might have said they could destroy the stuff not in the indictment but either way they destroyed everything regardless of what the instruction was. You've just used the
0: the figure 1,600, but in private eye recently it was reported it was over 3,000 items, is that That's in total.
1: Okay, right. 1,600 that they had had no permission to destroy.
0: Oh, so they they destroyed over 3,000 pieces of evidence, including 1,600 pieces which they were not authorised to destroy. Yes. Yes. Now, remarkably, among this evidence apparently a uh, 10 semen deposits which were taken from Jody's body so there was semen on Jody's body and it was never tested yeah that just seems unfathomable um it, did you know that this existed before this all happened
1: um no we went when we discovered that there were samples left there was a file that was marked not on main inventory, forensics, not on main inventory. And when we go into this file, I was talking about productions earlier and just so that people understand, um, when items are collected, they're given a, a unique reference number so that they can be followed through the entire investigation and through to trial and appeal if necessary. In this file, not one of the samples in there had a reference number not one. And we found samples in there that basically the defence knew nothing about. Were
0: they disclosed to the defence but marked in such a way that they seemed irrelevant, or were they simply not disclosed to the defence?
1: A large number of them were never disclosed at all, is what we're discovering now. And some of them like you say, may have been disclosed, but in such a way that that you you would never recognise that they were significant at all.
0: And what about these ten semen deposits on Jodie's body? Were they disclosed or undisclosed?
1: They weren't disclosed as semen deposits as such. They were they were they were in a list of no results great big list of no results stuff and they were just in that list so so we didn't know what we got no results for we just had no results it just said tests brought no results and then when we got into this this hidden file we realized that the initially they've tested positive for semen and then never been tested any further just been put into this other file and Left there for twenty years.
0: I mean, what's your opinion of the fact that this was not flagged up to the defence as something important?
1: Oh, I mean, <laughs> this is not just Luke's life we're talking about here. This is this was about justice for Jodie, and whoever did this to Jodie, it's it's beyond despicable that that stuff was hidden. In order to obtain a conviction, rather than to, rather than to get the right person, is the way I look at it.
0: What will you do if those semen deposits are retested? Are they? Are they? Are they? Um, they're among the evidence that was not destroyed. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So, what will you do if they're tested and they come back to Luke Mitchell?
1: So be it. So be it. Then we will know the truth. And that's all I've been looking for for
0: 20 years is the truth. Do you, is, I just want to be clear. Do we know that the semen deposit, I mean, I don't know. I'm not forensically trained, right? So how long would semen, because Luke and Jodie were boyfriend and girlfriend. Yes. So how significant would it be? Must these semen, because you said something about it starts to break down very quickly. So must these semen deposits have been left by the killer or not?
1: Almost certainly. Almost certainly. You've got got to remember that Jodie was left out in the rain. Her body was left out in the rain all night, naked. So they didn't put a a cover over her, They didn't put a tent up or anything. Um, So whatever whatever deposits are on her body are most likely to have been from most likely to have been deposited there after she was stripped. That they're unlikely to have been. So, for example, it was claimed that she had a bath on the Sunday evening, and she she obviously she washed before she went out to school on on the Monday morning. Um. So, had there been deposits from sexual intercourse with Luke, which she had on Saturday night, that would all have been washed away. And this is the Monday evening. So. Essentially, what, they, what the, the scientists are telling us is that the deposits on her body were from the last person who had contact with her body.
0: How close are you to Luke? That's a strange question. Um, well, I just mean, do, are you, um, do you speak to him regularly? How would yes. you feel if it turned out that
1: he'd been wasting your time for 20 years? Oh, I guess it would be a bit annoyed, but I I would have no regrets for anything that I've done in these twenty years because there are so many unanswered questions in this case that you can't say justice has been properly done for Jodie. You can't.
0: So even if he turns out to be the killer, yeah, the investigation will still, in your opinion, have been catastrophically flawed, essentially, yes. and worthy of scrutiny. Yes, and probing. So is your uh, belief you know Luke, like obviously I've never spoken to him. do you feel confident that he is not the killer?
1: as confident as as anybody can be that wasn't actually there, yeah you know, I can never hundred percent say he definitely didn't do it. but from everything I've seen in terms of evidence over the years and I'm not basing this on Luke's personality in terms of evidence over the years there is nothing there to suggest it was him and the type of personality switch that would that would be needed as well um because it well first of all they said it was a frenzied attack then they said the killer became icily calm for, for the mutilations and everything um i've, I've never seen any indication of te- personality or Mood shifts like that from boy to man in in the twenty years of knowing him, but my my opinion is based on the evidence that I've seen over the years.
0: There's a, a website online where uh, the authors of that website are quite committed to attacking Luke and attacking your investigation into uh, Luke's conviction and they quite regularly cite a Daily Mail article from 2005 where it was said that Luke had a history of pulling knives on girls. Um, have you ever asked Luke about that and what the veracity is of that
1: claim? Yes, yes, discussed it many times. Um th- This history of pulling knives on girls came from girls who came forward after the conviction and made claims um, about things that Luke had allegedly done. One claimed that he pulled a knife on her at the army cadets before Jodie's murder and I had, I've probably still got them somewhere, the army cadet attendance records and Luke had already left cadets by the time this this girl said it happened. She could have been mistaken about the date, fair enough, but he'd already left the cadets by then. The other um, girl who I believe, claimed this happened when she was 11 in this particular house. Um, I have spoken to the adults surrounding that. I have to be very careful because I don't want to identify any of the people involved here. But I have spoken to the adults surrounding that. And they are of the opinion that it didn't happen now if, if you had if you had a daughter who suddenly came out with something like that i know i know if, if one of my daughters had come out with something like that i'd have been right on it there and then but i from from the parents and and the adults surrounding it i got the the distinct impression that it was fantasy
0: Was because the, the male shouldn't really have been talking to you Somebody of that age, were they older by the time the male spoke to them? Do you know?
1: I don't think the male spoke to that particular girl, right? The, the, the one that spoke to was over 16. Okay,
0: do you know how the information made its way to the male then?
1: I presume the I don't know, I don't know, I, I can't, I'm not even going to try and guess. <laughs> do you, um.
0: There was some criticism in the TV show, which I should say again, Jodie's family believe very fervently that Luke is the killer. And they say that his constant denials and his attempts to get out of prison are a way of re-traumatizing them and that they um, feel attacked by him constantly denying that he is the killer and that he is sort of uh, harassing them from behind the prison bars. Um Do you, but do you there was criticism in that TV show, which has itself been criticized by the family of the relationship between the media and the police that there seemed to be leaks going yes. on um, do, Have you looked into that? Have you looked into that as a potential corruption? Um, I mean, there's a, a, a number of things that have gone on in this case that we know are not right. For example, the judge who found that Luke's treatment by the police was completely improper. Um, how much mileage is there for you in pursuing any kind of complaints about the police? Or is that something that you would only worry about once the conviction is dealt with?
1: Probably once the conviction is dealt with. You have, to, you have to pick your fights in this work. Um, and and in, in particular because for a very long time I was the only one working on this case. So so you've got to decide what is, what is the most important thing to pursue right now. And for me, the most important thing to pursue is the truth about what happened to Jodie and who was responsible. Everything so, else can be sorted out after that is the way I look at it.
0: Who's working on the case now? How many people does Luke have fighting for him. Does he have a, a lawyer or a team of lawyers?
1: We have a lawyer at the minute. Um we have a couple of legal experts working behind the scenes. Um we're just about to engage some forensic experts. Um and that's that's pretty much it at the minute. It's because there's there's no there's no money to pay for the sort of stuff that we need to take this forward you know the, the, the legal aid that would be available would not pay for the, the people that we need so we've been very fortunate because we do have some people working for free and, and given their expertise for free to allow us to pull this together in order to take it forward. And what
0: happens next I mean so you've got these exhibits some of which were not disclosed to you or were disclosed in a way that sort of disguised how significant they were, for example, semen retrieved from Jody's body. So um, how long is it likely to be before you can get that tested? And then once you've got it tested, what happens next?
1: So the Police Scotland gave us an, an undertaking that they would they would do nothing with these samples so that we could apply for them to get them tested. Then they came back and said they were going to put these restrictions on what we could have and how it could be tested and where it could be tested. So we had to argue that and, you know, get the agreement that, no, we'll get a forensic scientist to tell you what we want and why we want it and have it tested independently. While we were doing that, we got information to say that the police had moved the samples to a forensic lab. Which is a moment of, uh oh, why would they do that? But when when we went to the place that we had been told the samples had been had been moved to they denied it they said no no we, we don't have them the police said no we didn't we didn't send them there so now we're kind of sitting there going we do not actually who's got the samples but what we will do is once we have the the scientific report saying which samples we need and why we need them that will go initially to Police Scotland with whom we have the undertaking to do nothing with them until we get them for testing. So that'll be the next stage. I don't know how long that will take. I don't know how long the testing will take because we don't actually have a finalised list yet. Once all of that's done, that then goes into a new application to the SCCRC, because you can't just go straight back to the Court of Appeal. We have to ask the Commission to do another review of the case based on what we found. And then they have to decide whether the case gets referred back to the Court of Appeal or not. And then the Court of Appeal has to decide whether they're going to overturn the conviction or not. So there's still a number of steps to go.
0: So realistically, we're probably looking at years more of Luke being in prison before
1: this is all dealt with. At least another couple. Yeah, yeah. He would have been and due to release in April 2024 if if, if he admitted if he, it. Yeah,
0: yeah. But he says he'll never admit it. He no. says he he won't confess to something he didn't do. No. So, and he's has he's on record as saying he will die in prison rather than confess.
1: Yeah.
0: And how old is he now?
1: Thirty-five, thirty-six. 36 hmm.
0: Now you've um you've written a book about the case, haven't you? Yes.
1: What's the book called, and and where can people find it? It's called Innocent Betrayed. So, yeah, there you go, TS. Um, it is available available on Amazon at the minute, but they have hyped the price to something ridiculous. Some of them are selling for £40. So uh, I think I, I, I gave Jamil an email address where people can contact me directly if they would like a copy of the book at the proper price, and I'll just sign it and send it out to them if they want to do it that way.
0: Do you want to um, give that email address out now while we're on the app? Uh
1: yeah, if I can remember, it. it's a uh, yeah I think it's just innocence.betrayed at gmail dot com
0: Well thank you very much for um for joining us today. Uh, I suppose before we wrap up, I should ask how is um how is Luke doing? How is he coping?
1: he's He's doing extremely well. I saw him yesterday. Uh, I was out to visit him yesterday. He's, he's very very strong. He's very focused. So because the, there's stuff been going on with the prison as well, um, I've got him dealing with that as best he can while I'm working on the on the actual conviction stuff. Um, but he's, he's he's incredibly strong. Surprisingly, still has a sense of humour in spite of all of this, um, and he, he's just he's absolutely determined to to have his name cleared and to find out what happened and who did this.
0: Well, thank you very much for for joining us today. And um, this will be available on Catch Up as well. And uh, it was a very interesting discussion. It's a fascinating case. And um, please keep us posted on the next steps.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for for giving me the time to have this conversation. Thank you for tuning in,
0: everyone. This has been um, Talking True Crime for NQ Investigates. And uh, we'll see you again soon with another case.